We're going to turn to the Word of God. And so, if you'll turn with me, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. Genesis, chapter 18. And we're going to begin reading at verse 1. Genesis 18 and verse 1. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that, ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man and he hastened to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah within herself saying, After I am waxed old shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I have not laughed, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Let's pray. Father, take your word and inscribe it in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is so precious to us. And so, Lord, we pray you would teach us from your word. Glorify the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, or whenever they're watching. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All things, everything, anything. That's our last few weeks. This is part four. All things, everything, and anything. In Matthew 19, verse 26, was our first week. The Lord Jesus says to his disciples, he shows them their depravity and their inability for any man, even the disciples, to save themselves. They can't save themselves through works or through religion or riches, or even commandment keeping, for there is the sin when they break the commandment of the Lord. Man is totally helpless. Man is completely lost outside of faith 
in Christ alone. The Lord Jesus makes a proclamation to bewildered followers. They ask, who then can be saved? And he retorts to them in Matthew 19 and verse 26, with men this is impossible. That's the great impossibility, man saving himself. With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Or as we heard in the presence of God or at the face of God, when God comes, it gives the idea of that personality, of the person of the Spirit, or God awakening the man personally, the woman personally, quickening them, regenerating them. And that's the face turning toward man and woman. So with men, it's impossible, but takes God to have a sovereign move upon the man and woman's heart. So we looked at that in verse one, or pardon me, part one. Then the next two parts, we looked at great impossibility again. Job 42. Job, uh, in Job 42 verse 2 says, I know that thou canst do everything. I know that thou canst do everything. Here was revelation, if you remember. So revelation was, the first one was salvation. This one was revelation of God, again, by his spirit and his word. So here Job is saying, I know thou canst do everything. After Satan destroyed Job's life, Job had lost everything. He sits in dust and ashes. He's in deep depression and despair. And the Almighty, he comes and he tells Job of his own inability to save, to deliver, or to heal, or to help himself. Great impossibility. And he shows Job all of these things and that Job is under the power of Leviathan. Remember, Leviathan is not just a creature that uh, possibly walked like a dinosaur or a dragon, but Leviathan is the spirit. Leviathan is the spirit right into this age. And that's why outside of Christ, you and I cannot defeat Leviathan. Leviathan is that great dragon called the devil and Satan. And there you and I are captured by him when we are not in Christ. But if you're saved, if you're Christ's day, then you can rejoice for he has no authority over you, no hold on you, and you belong to Christ. And so you're under new management. So here we find that Job says, I can't save myself. I'm sitting, sitting in dust and ashes, remember, from the dust man came and the dust he goes again. That shows man's inability to save, help, heal himself to deliver himself. And the devil is too powerful a being over a natural man and woman. He becomes their God, as it were. Their God outside of Christ. So notice here, men outside of faith in Christ alone are still under a great impossibility. Hope, help and deliverance Salvation and redemption from the Lord again is in his presence. All things are possible with the Lord when they're impossible with man. Whatever your impossibility is right now, it's possible with the Lord. And Job 42 verse 2, the exclamation comes out. The revelation is, I know, the exclamation is, thou canst do everything. And then the verses and that no thought can be withholden from thee. So there we have the first three weeks just given to you briefly.
Now the part four, we had a, a proclamation, an exclamation, and now in Genesis chapter 18, we have a question. A question. The first one was of the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus, he was proclaiming. Job was exclaiming, and now God is giving a question. And he says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, Abraham and Sarah, he says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Before we go any further, we want to look at the preservation. That is the preservation of God's elect chosen seed. And that's what he does. He preserves. He elects and he preserves. You rejoice in this if you are Christ's. And notice here, he says to you, he says to you and I, who are his seed? Not only does he say to us, but he asks us, is anything too hard for me? What's your impossibility this morning? What is the great mountain you're facing? What is the valley that's in front of you that you must traverse or the storm you find yourself in? And listen, what is the giant before you? And you say, I can't, I can't, I can't. Or it's too great, too big for me. And it may well be, and maybe you can't, but he can. For with men, when things are impossible, the greatest impossibility amongst the whole of mankind is man cannot save himself. And again, man cannot deliver himself from the clutches of the devil. But when a man and a woman are in Christ, not only are they saved and redeemed when they're God's own elect people, when they're God's own in Christ, not only are they saved and they're redeemed, but they're preserved. And the thing about that that amazes me all the time is, is yes, things get too much for me. Too big for me. But then I say, all things are possible with you, Lord. If God can save a wretch like me, if God can keep a wretch like me, redeem a wretch like me, and change me that I am a son of the Most High God, that I am a a, a child of God, then, and if he's done that with you, we can say, Father, this is impossible with me, but you're in me. I've got your word. We have your authority And with God, all things are possible. I know thou canst do everything. And then when we're doubting, hear him say to you this morning. When we're in our weakness, hear him say to you this morning. Hear him telling you now, whether you're on Facebook Live or watching, or whether you're on YouTube watching, whether it's the Sunday morning or whether it's later in the week or whenever. Hear God say to you this morning, ask you the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And I can tell you, there's nothing too hard for him. For the greatest impossibility was done by him. Our salvation was from eternity to bring us to eternity. In our lost estate on the earth, in Adam, we fell. When Adam fell, we died. When Adam died, so our sin, his sin became our sin. And so because of that, God came down in the person of his son, walked this earth, went to the cross, bled and died for our redemption. And so the spirit who quickened us to behold the Lamb of God, who drew us to the cross, who drew us to the Son of God, who showed us the Lamb, our sin bearer, our penalty is paid. He is our ransom. We find them. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. 
He seals us with his Holy Spirit and he declares us righteous in Christ. So we can say, there's nothing too hard for you, Lord. That's the greatest impossibility we have looked at. The devil has no hold on you. The devil has no authority on you. He has no privilege on you, no right on you. He has no uh, means or method to be able to claim you at all or ever because you are under new management, as it were. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus and the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's who you are in Christ. You are a child of God. You are a son of the king. You are a daughter of the king. And you're on the road to glory. And you belong to the Savior. None shall pluck you from his hand. And he says, none shall pluck you from my father's hand. My father is greater than I. You're not under the condemnation. But rather, you are now brought into salvation and justification. God is a big God. Our God is a good God and our God is a great God and he's the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac and he's the God of Jacob. He is the God of the Bible, he's the God of the prophets and he's the God of Moses and of Joshua and of Joseph before. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's also the God of the apostles, and we could go on. He's the God, the maker, creator, the keeper, the sustainer, as we heard in the book of Job. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is still on the throne, still in charge, complete in control, and he has never relinquished even one iota, jot or tittle of his power. So here we find our God is above all other so-called gods. He's above the devil. He's above Satan and his minions, as it were. He's above every foul demon spirit. And he's above the wicked hearts of men. And he's above all others and all things. So the Lord asks you a question this morning in your weakness, in your doubting, in your frailty in your despair, in your disillusionment, in your discouragement, he asks you a question, is anything too hard for the Lord? We say, no, Lord, there's nothing too hard for thee. So here we find this uh, question coming to Abraham. Remember, our title is for week four, all things, everything, and anything. So the Lord, you see, called Abram, Abraham was Abram, as we know, when he calls Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees in Genesis chapter 12. And listen to what it says in verse 1. We are told, it says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out from thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Notice, unto a land that I will show thee. Now here we have uh, Abraham, here's the voice of God. We have a command given to Abraham, but it's a command without natural reason. A command without natural reason. First of all, you and I would say, I'm not leaving until you tell me where I'm going. That's not faith working. You may ask, Lord, where is it? And he says, just get out from your country and from your kindred into a land that I'll show you. And you might ask, Lord, well, where am I going? But if the Lord tells you to do it, faith says, I will trust in thee. And remember, it's even in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 4, that, that even from there, that, uh, uh, in the 5, that we find that Paul talks about the faith of Abraham. And God 
counted unto him as righteousness. And you and I are following the same God, our same Lord Jesus, and he, believing in what he's done at Calvary, what he did at the cross, how he shed his blood and paid our debt, and that's enough for our redemption and salvation, then through that faith alone in God, we are declared righteous. We are justified just as if we had never sinned. So here we have a command without reason. For example, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, Hebrews is known as faith's hall of fame, all these wonderful biblical characters and their names. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 says that Abram by faith obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. He hadn't a clue where he was going. He just knew God had told him to go. And he knew God tells him to go. Then if God tells him to go, God will lead him to the right place. He will supply the need. And even our Lord Jesus sending the disciples out and he tells them to go without script or purse. He says the need will be met for you. And that's what he does to this very moment because he's God who changes not. He is the Lord Jesus, the same yesterday and today and forever. So whatever your need is, he's able to meet. He's able and more than able to meet. When God calls, he equips. When he sends forth, he supplies. And always remember these things. We, that is people, try to work out God's plan. We try to work out God's provision. We try to work out, uh, even as natural human beings, a way to God of salvation by our works and rituals and so on. But it's all by faith. Listen, a command without reason is not for defeat in that season. You might say, Lord, I'm at my weakest and you're hanging through a season here. And he's saying, you need to trust me. Here's a command for you. Trust me. Believe me. Or maybe he'll tell you to step out to do something. And you'll say, I can't, I'm too weak, I'm too frail, I'm unable, I can't feel I can do this, I'm spiritually low. Listen, if God calls you to it, he will bring you through it. And the thing about this is a command without reason is not defeat in that season. God is not calling you, nor is God sending you for you to be defeated, but rather to show his glory in you. That he will be glorified in all of it. It's believing Not only in God, but believing God and obeying his word. Romans 4 and 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So this command without reason. But God has a plan and a purpose for you and your life. The command without reason is always accompanied with a promise. I want you to remember this. A command of God that is without reason is always accompanied with a promise. With a promise. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. The command without reason is in verse 1. Get thee out from thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. There's the command without reason to man. Then we see the command is accompanied with a promise in verse 2. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Here is the promise. 
So we see sometimes we, we can't see ourselves past Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. I can't go till I know. Lord, you have to skywrite things for me and you have to make the earth tremble and you have to get volcanoes nearly to go off around, around beside me to, to make me see. You, you, you have to get stars falling from heaven, Lord, or whatever. You know, I have to get the sea and the waves roaring before I, something happens. It has to be so cataclysmic and big and massive and glorious sign before I move. And the Lord says, no, the obedience on my bare word and the faith in that is what brings the promise. So Genesis 1, here we have a command without reason. Talk, pardon me, Genesis 12 and verse 1, we have a command without reason. Genesis 12 and 2, we have the command with a promised blessing. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, in Genesis 15 and verse 5, the Lord says to Abram, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars. If thou be able to number them, and he said unto them, so shall thy seed be. Your seed is going to be so numerous in the earth that your seed will fulfill many promises, but your seed will fill the earth. Notice here he says, look, count the stars. Think about this, he says. And throughout the years, there'll be billions of them or millions of them. And notice here in Genesis 17, verses 4 and 5, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Thou shalt be a father of many nations. The Lord's starting to show him the great promise. Remember, he's old. He hasn't any children. You know, and Sarah, Sarai, who becomes Sarah, her, her womb is barren. And notice the Lord says, Thou shalt be a father of many nations. Verse 5, Neither, neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. In the mind of God, brother, sister, in the mind of God, this was a done deal. Remember, we're traveling in time, in our universe, timepiece. We're traveling in time. We have time worked out, and we're traveling in it. But God is outside of time, though he steps into time. He fulfills time because he's eternal through all our time. He's before us and he's behind us. He's beneath us and he's above us. And so he is eternal. And here he says, I've made thee a father of many nations. Thou shalt be a father of many nations. Notice here he says, I have made thee. In other words, it's already happened, but he hasn't had a son yet. And how's it already happened? It happens in Abraham's future. And it happens when Abraham can't see it happening, doesn't know how it's ever going to happen, and even may struggle to believe that it will happen. But God has said it, and now his words shall not and will not return unto him void. And God, in the mind of God, as it were, it had already happened in the eternal one. God is a way ahead of us. God is in your future. And you and I traveling through time, but God is just waiting for you and I to catch up. He's waiting for you and I to enter in to that part of eternity where time has moved into. He's waiting for us to catch up. In the mind of God, it was a done deal. It just hadn't happened yet. But it had to happen. It couldn't not happen. It couldn't not happen. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
verse 20. It says of the Lord Jesus, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Speaking of uh, Peter's writing to the strangers scattered abroad or Israel scattered abroad, and he says, do you realize that the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, he was foreordained before there was even a world. In the mind of God, the lamb was already slain. So God is away ahead of us. In the mind of God, the lamb was already slain. He looked down through eternity and time until that place of Calvary, through Calvary, until you and I. And so we are redeemed with the blood of the lamb. Notice here, he says, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Before God spoke the words into being but was manifest in these last times for you. Think about this. All of that before there was even a universe, before there was any creation, there was a a savior in heaven before there was a sinner in Adam on the earth. And here we find God manifests in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, and he bleeds and dies for our redemption. For our salvation. So Abram becomes Abraham. Abram Abram means uh, exalted father. In other words, he he was a well-known tribal, uh, sort of tribes man. But Abraham means father of many nations or father of a multitude. So God changes his name to fit the promise. And God changed Abraham to fit the blessing. Not the blessing to fit Abraham. And notice this here. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Genesis 17 verse 16. Jehovah then says to Abraham that his wife Sarai will have a name changed to Sarah. She'll be a princess. Genesis 17 verse 16 I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Notice, a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Nations and kings are going to come from Sarai or Sarai. A father of nations is Abraham. And then in Genesis 17 and verse 17, It says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 bear? Notice, I'm a hundred years old. She's 90 years of age. Are we going to be able to bear children? Shall we bear being such an old age? And when we look at this in time, won't allow us to go too much more into this. But God, in in chapter 17, he starts making the covenant between Abraham and himself. Verse 2, I will make a covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. Verse 4, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And then verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. 
And then in verse 9, God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed in thee after thee in their generations. Verse 10, This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Then he talks in verse 11 of the covenant betwixt me and you. Verse 13, he says, he speaks of an everlasting covenant. And then he speaks in verse 14, he says of a broken covenant. And then again, when we go on down in chapter 17, in verse 19, he says, and, and God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And they will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and, will, and with his seed after him. Verse 21, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac. So it was to come through Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this time. And he left off talking with Abraham, talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. God uses the word covenant in this chapter 12 times. 12 is the number of God's government. God is governing here the things that are impossible. That's why he can do all things are possible with him. I know thou canst do everything, says Job. And he asks the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? He says and in Genesis 17 and 1, it says, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be thy perfect. I am the almighty. That's who we spoke about when in the book of Job uh, over two weeks. I am the almighty, he says. El Shaddai, I'm the sovereign controller. I'm the nourisher. I'm the all-sufficient one. He says, that's who I am, Abraham. That's who I am, Sarah. And you're going to have a child. 100 years of age, 90 years of age, and your seed are going to populate and multiply in the earth. Notice Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Now all the commentators saying that Abraham fell on his face and laughed agree that Abraham's laughter was a laughter of joy and delight. Some say it was a laughter of faith or even he's laughing and his heart is worshipping through this. Almighty God, El Shaddai, mentions the word covenant, 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 covenant to him. Here, this great and all-sufficient one becomes personal to Abraham. He's now becoming personal. His blessings are personal. His promises are personal. His covenant is personal. And imagine Almighty God being personal with you and Almighty God is personal with me. The one who came to Abraham and Sarah is the one whom we met in the Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came with this covenant blessing and promise to Abraham and Sarah the exact same one is the one who came in a body of flesh and hung and bled and died to fulfill all covenant. The blood of the everlasting covenant, the cross work of Christ, and you and I have him as our own Lord and personal Savior. Notice here, this great sufficient one is not only personal, 
but he makes a personal covenant with us too. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us that the Almighty who came to Job, the Almighty who came to crush Leviathan, the same Almighty who will come and break the clouds again, the same Almighty who will come in great power and glory at Christ's second coming, the same Almighty God is in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. The one who came to Abraham, the one who made the covenant with Abraham, and the one who came in the person of the Son of God and shed his blood and died, the Lord Jesus Christ says, Revelation 1 and 8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the all Mighty. This is the same one. He came to Job. Who came to Job? Jesus. Who conquers and crushes the devil, Satan, Leviathan for Job? Jesus. Who made these covenant promises and blessings with Abraham and keeps the covenant to this day? Jesus. Who made a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah? Jesus, and who kept that covenant for you and I to be blood washed even this very moment, the Lord Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler, as he's known in our first part in part one, was lost without Jesus. Job found he was powerless without Jesus. Now Abraham finds out there's no future, there's no covenant in the earth without Jesus. And in John 8 and 56, the master said of himself, looking back 2,000 years from then, your father Abraham, he said to, the, to the, the Jewish leaders. In other words, if Abraham's your father, he says, listen, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And he saw it and was glad. The idea here. Rejoice to see my day, he saw it and was glad. In the original text, it gives the idea of a raised expectation of something great. Or a raised expectation of something greater. The covenant was a great covenant. It was not kept through Abraham, but through El Shaddai. Through God, he kept the covenant. Abraham let the Lord down. He went with Hagar. Ishmael had been born. He thought he would give God a hand, but God kept the course. God kept the covenant. And notice here, he who made the covenant was the one who also came, not only to fulfill all covenants, to keep all covenant blessing, but to die on the cross for the new covenant. He's the exact same one, the one true and living God. Abraham couldn't be a father of many nations, couldn't keep the, the covenant as he was old and had no child with Sarah. It all rested, you're, you're ready now, it was all rested on the Lord's doing. Everything rested on the Lord's doing. And it's the exact same in our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything of the covenant he has made with us all rests on the Lord's doing. All rests on the work of Calvary, the finished work of the cross. 
It all rests on Christ. And Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. In other words, Abraham had a raised expectation of something greater. And the idea means he reached out in faith. He stretched forth in faith. In the face of impossibility, 100 years of age, 90 years of age, dead and barren womb, and he was an old man, and his ways had gone after the, the years of a man, and here we're finding he stretches out in faith, as it were, to touch the things that God had promised, believing God, obeyed his word, and God kept the covenant promise, and of course, you and I are the result of those covenants. Notice Abram fell on his face and he laughed in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 17. He says, Sarah was behind the tent door. Pardon me. In Genesis chapter, he fell on his face and laughed in verse 17. In Genesis 18, Sarah was behind the tent door and overheard the Lord tell Abram. Notice verse 10. Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. Verse 12. Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. Verse 13. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Now, scholars for some reason agree that Abraham laughed in, in joy, in delight, in faith, or in worship. But here, it's believed that Sarah's laugh in the original text gives the idea of something different. That Sarah's laugh was cynical. That Sarah's laugh was knowing the impossible for them to have children. And of course, uh, with our Northern Ireland ways, we would say, I write. Dead on, as we would say. You must be mad in the head, as we would tell someone. Here, Sarah is going, no chance. We're owned. Cynically laughing at it. Listen, God delights in doing miraculous works. And notice like, and look, in Luke's gospel, chapter 1, and verse 37, Gabriel comes to Mary. Mary hasn't been with, uh, with a man. She's a young virgin girl. And the angel Gabriel says that the the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and thou shalt bear a son. The Holy Ghost will come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and thou shalt bear a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. This is a young virgin girl. This girl, well, Jesus was virgin born. And God done a miraculous work in the womb of a young woman. Although her, her womb was, as it were, a young and working a, a creative age. Sarah's wasn't. But God still done a wonderful work, a creative, miraculous work. She's cynically laughing, and, and for example, uh, it says Sarah's womb was dead. And the idea here means Sarah was persisting in unbelief. 
not acting in astonishment. So Abraham's astonished at this and he's laughing. What me? Wow, I never thought that you'd bless me like this, Lord. I never thought you'd do this for me. And that's what we're like sometimes when God really gives us the promise of blessing. But Sarah, she starts laughing. Aye, right, okay. I don't believe this. I'm cynical with it. It's unbelief. She's not acting in astonishment. And so that's why verse 14 we have the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. Notice the Lord said, at the appointed time, I will return unto thee. Here's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his second coming now. Picture of the cross work of Christ and the seed born of Abraham. That's you and I, the father of many nations. We see the covenant nations of the earth today. Notice here, the covenant people in the earth today. Notice here's a picture of Christ's second coming. At the appointed time, there's an appointed time for his second coming. Only the father knows. We don't know the day nor the hour. I will return unto thee. We know he's coming again. And many, many will be found in unbelief. Many will be found in unbelief. Cynical at the word of God. Cynical about the cross. Cynical about salvation. Cynical about redemption. Cynical that Christ has paid the debt. Cynical in unbelief. And their only astonishment will not be when worship and praise like you and I who are watching, waiting and looking and praying for his coming. But rather, we're in astonishment at him coming. The glory of our Lord, they will be in an astonishment of horror. The Lord's return will mark the resurrection of the dead. New life is created as the bodies are raised from the ground. The bodies are changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. The bodies are changed in a moment. What's in a moment, the twinkling of an eye? It's not this uh, all of a sudden uh, secret rapture and we're all changed in the moment. And, and it happens in a moment, twinkling of an eye. The scriptures doesn't tell us that. It tells us we are, when the, when the Lord comes back in his glory, we are changed in a moment. The old body, whether we're dead or living, the dead are raised, whether it's, it's dust and ashes, I like watching the history channels and, and those educational channels. And I watched one, and there was an, an old Anglo-Saxon grave found in a, a, main, a fork in a main road. And they had dug out all this, all this ground, and they had laid all of these roads. And just the way it was, it built around this little island of, a, of, of, of earth. And no one knew until recent years that this was actually a massive Anglo-Saxon grave. And underneath there were rooms inside it. And there was a place and they knew where a body of an Anglo-Saxon, what they believed was a king maybe led, was led. With the gold and the riches that were there. And there they'd seen this Anglo-Saxon gold had come from as far as the Middle East. And notice here, they, they were looking at it and, uh, and they said these words, the body has dissolved to dust and ashes. It's gone, but the remnants of where he was, even bones were almost completely away. 
And I thought, you know, on the day of the resurrection, there'd be many bodies are like that. But the Lord knows if we can call it the DNA. The Lord knows every single part of it and he will call it and it will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and God will raise the dust from the ground and those bodies shall be changed and then if we are alive and remain, we will be changed also and caught up to meet the Lord. Notice here, notice this. Bodies are changed in a moment and death gives way to life. Death gives way to life. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, Paul writes, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And here the manifestation is when Christ returns. As the Lord Jesus return, as he will return and change death unto life, as he will take that which is corruptible and he'll put on incorruption. Mortals shall put on immortality and those who are alive will be changed in that moment too. In Christ, so the Lord will return, he says, to do a creative work on the earth. What is that creative work? He will change the earth. And so the Lord will return to Abraham and Sarah and do a creative work in their womb. In, the, in Sarah's womb and in Abraham's body. And their bodies will bring you life. The seed will come forth. And Sarah shall bear a son. And so God says in Genesis 18 and 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Brothers and sisters, we can believe God to come back again because we don't have to believe it too hard for it now. What I mean is we can believe in future things, but God is a God of the now. He's a God of this day, and he's the God of the present. And he says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I finish with this thought. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The word hard can mean wonderful. It's the word Paul law, and it means, is there anything hidden from the Lord? Strange that. Sarah laughed in her heart, notice, in her heart behind the tent door. Notice Sarah laughed within herself, not even loud like Abraham. Laughed within herself. And this is why they get this idea one was a different laughter than the other. She laughed in her heart, cynically. She laughed behind the tent door. Abraham was out with them laughing openly. Everything was open before God, but God still knew the heart behind the tent door. And he says, is anything hidden from me, Abraham? Brothers and sisters, there's nothing hidden. He knew not only the heart or that cynical laugh behind the tent door of Sarah, he knew the barren womb and he knew her age. The word Paula or anything, anything too hard for the Lord means great, anything too difficult, anything too high, is there anything too marvelous for me? In other words, if God is so marvelous, then what is too marvelous? So I finish with this. From Job chapter 42 and verse 3. The verse after he says, I know thou canst do everything. 
It says, Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me I knew not. Notice here, there's nothing hidden from the Lord, but there's many things that are hidden from us. There are many hidden wonders of God. There are many hidden ways of the Lord. And the hidden wonders and ways of God will be revealed to us from the Lord as we walk with him, as we put our faith in him, as we trust in him. And nothing at one point will be hidden from us when he comes again. And that's what will happen. That's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Keep hoping. So many riches, so many hidden wonders in the Lord. His name shall be called Paula. His name shall be called Wonderful, said Isaiah. Is anything too wonderful for me? More wonderful, more wonderful and hidden from me, Abraham, Sarah. Let the Lord say that to you. The question is too hidden for me, too much for me, too great for me. And put your trust in him. All things, everything and anything. May God bless this series, this word to our hearts. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Don't forget tonight again. Mentioned it at the start. Maybe some missed it. Don't forget this evening again. We're going to be in Turkington's. Uh, uh, we're going to be there in their grounds again as we have been previous weeks we're going to be there at 6pm this evening starting at 6pm get in early we've got good crowds coming um, pray for us please pray that people be saved backsliders restored your people blessed and pray for the, the Turkington family who have, who have been help, so helpful with us pray for us and we ask you to come and support the drive-in meetings we appreciate your attendance and come on let's get out and say Lord we're moving out in faith trusting in you. Father, take your word and take your people and encourage them tonight as they come out to the drive-in. Encourage them right now or whenever they listen to this message or watch it, live or later. Glorify your Son in all things. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.